Welcome to the Tour Talk Golf Podcast, where we walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk. I am your co-host, Sean McBride, together with my wife, Maria. We share our Inside the Ropes experience on all major golf tours. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much. We are now on our fifth episode. I can't believe we've done five episodes already. But it's been it's been fun, and I'm looking forward to going through to the next um, period as well. So, Sean, I know that you have been busy. What have you been up to? I have. I've had a busy uh, a busy week or so in between uh, the last pod, and then today we have finally, finally got around to signing an agreement with a really nice facility here in the Orlando area at the Marriott Grand Vista, just over there in Tourist World near. Um, off the back of SeaWorld, I guess, near International Drive. It's always been a great little facility. I remember you used it towards the end of your LPJ career. I was there um, a little bit with a couple of players I worked with. It's always had a really good feel about it, considering it's only a public facility, but the range is fantastic. You never felt like you are cornered into a certain area of the, of the range. You can kind of practice where you want, and it's a good blend of public a lot of LPGA players seem to go over there and practice as well. So really looking forward to expanding our business and our service to anybody that's welcome to come over there to the Marriott Grand Vista, where Tour Talk Mentoring and Performance Coaching will be conducting all things golf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is actually a very good uh, very good facility. I, like you said, I used to be practicing there a lot, and I know a lot of LPGA players still go there that live in the area. They have, you know, a good good opportunity, very good short game, um, and lots of great wedge area, I think. And wedge area is really something that you can miss a lot, I think, on driving ranges and things. So I, th- I think it's a great um, great facility, and I'm really looking forward to as well getting out there with my ladies. Yep, having a little um, women's clinic every now and then to make sure that you're staying connected with the game. Obviously, uh, with a facility like that, we're looking to cater to any sort of level of player. So we do we deal a lot with college and high school players, um, even guys and girls that are playing professionally, which we'll expand a little bit later in this podcast. But, you know, anybody's welcome to come along and, and learn the game, particularly junior golfers, always encouraging the junior golfers to learn the game from, I guess, two people that have not only had good junior careers ourselves, particularly yourself, obviously, but, um, you know, looking to make sure that the junior golfers these days are not just little range rats. They're getting the information fed to them correctly. That technique is absolutely the essential part of improving golf, but also learning the holistic side. Yeah, there's so much more to golf than it's obviously you can find anything nowadays on social media and um, internet, whatever it is, but there's so much more, a little um, intricacy, intricacy? Intricacy. Yeah, intricacy, that's what you're saying it, uh, to the game that I think as a player and you as a caddy and now a coach inside the ropes, there's a little things that can be so important that I think um, a lot of coaches can miss out on, but we have. Yeah, one of the things I kind of stand by in regards to my instruction is, yes, I do. A lot of my influence come from two fantastic coaches that were sort of mentors to me as well as Ian Triggs in Australia. Obviously, he coached a lot of players that I worked for on the tour. And then David Ledbetter was a great influence on me as well. So a great blend of uh, instructional intelligence. I then throw in my own sort of style, but I also make sure 
that any player that comes to me that is a competitive player, uh, I make sure that they don't just get bombarded with technical information. They get it filtered very, very well. But at the end of it, I create some scenarios that are based around the fact that they have to go and play the game. So, you know, making sure that practice simulates playing as well. So it's not just coming and getting an hour lesson, feeding you with technical information and leaving. It's making sure there's some scenario-based situations that I can help them with because of all the time we spend on the golf course, obviously. So we're really looking forward to uh, setting up base at the Marriott Grand Vista, June 1st. We're going to be there. Make sure if you're in town, give us a call. Contact us on all our socials and all our phone numbers, which I'm sure Maria will give to you at the end of this podcast, but really yep. looking forward to yep. doing that. Other than that, a couple of new students this yeah. week. Yep. Yeah, that's I, been good. I had the pleasure of getting to work with a, I will have to say, she may be one of the best golfers I've seen, female golfers I've seen at 19 years of age. Her name is Natalia Gusiva. She's a Russian girl who is a, she's going to be a sophomore at in Miami. And through a connection, she got introduced to me. We spent some good time together in our first and well, hopefully first of many sessions, but um, she impressed the hell out of me. And, oh, mm. my God, talk about having the X factor in regards to the ability to be so competitive. She is like a little Ferrari that, given the right guidance, I think she could end up going a long, long way. So big call. Yeah, it is a, bit, it was, is a big call. She was impressive. Yeah. yeah, no, it's fun when you all of a sudden um... – come across someone like that where you feel that is something special? Yeah, every, every time I ask her a question when we're on the golf course, I start my, um, particularly with a player like her who's highly competitive, where I start with a not even a playing lesson. We start by just going and playing 18 holes. And I always ask these students some basic questions, but just seeing what their reaction's like. Um, you can tell if it's sort of fabricated and if it's kind of regurgitated golf speak or if you can really feel like it's self-belief and uh, oh, Eastern European attitude, <laughs> I can tell you what. She, she stared through me a few times when I kind of selectively tried to critique her a little bit and uh, knew that I was pushing a few buttons and she looked straight through me. So I thought, oh, this this girl could go places. And plus she can back it up with physical talent. So she's yeah. on a great golfing journey. She's still an amateur, though obviously being at college. And... Still an amateur, yeah. thinking about turning professional, pending her results at first and second stage Q schools and everything else goes with turning professional. But yeah. she's well on the way. So look out for that name, Natalia Gusiva. Just that name sounds good. So... <laughs> Very nice girl. And, yeah. Um, but then so, you were out on the uh, Epson tour as well, which is the minor tour of the LPJ. Yeah. So it's the feeder tour to the LPJ. Epson tour just happened to be in Florida for the last two weeks. Yeah. And I took advantage of just cruising on out there uh, to Mission Inn, where I used to actually I used to coach for Gary Gilchrist out there at his academy many, many years ago after I finished caddying. And so I was very familiar with the golf course, just catching up with some familiar faces, and I was approached by one of the mums, um, a Korean lady, very nice, very polite, come up and said hello, uh, see me with all my sort of gizmos, my computer was out, and um, I guess I was looked like a coach of somewhat, or thought, thought I did anyway. <laughs> and uh, she wanted to know who I'm coaching, and I said, look, I'm just here seeing some familiar faces. And she said, can you have a look at my daughter? And I said, well, what... 
what is she, where is she? And she said she's on the putting green. So a short introduction, late, uh, five minutes, we had a look at her putting. I ended up going back and looking at her for a few more days. And this girl is such a nice girl. Her nickname is KK. And she just happens to be the number one player on the Epson Tour. So hopefully uh, some information I gave her can help her get better over a long period of time. Whoever yeah. coached her yeah. in Korea when she was younger did a really good job. Um, they're probably looking for some American-based uh guidance and I think I gave that to her and we just talked about making sure that she doesn't try and be the player that she wants to be too early she can just grow into that so um some good days spent at the Epson Tour event and I was impressed hmm. by the Epson Tour it's actually a really run well run little tournament all right well what, what impressed you the most is it what you remember it from before is it how different was it to the LPJ you think or is it something hmm. that you feel like it's really blooming up there i think it's blooming i think the i'm not too sure of the money i think they're playing for decent amount of money now i'm sure it's very hard on expenses uh with any player trying to play professional golf but yeah it did have a sense that the lpga has fed down some support to it over the years so just uh-huh. the presentation of it um this particular week i mean mission in is a pretty good facility for these girls i think yeah so yeah. it was good it was very professional a lot of the girls as i seen only a couple of years ago when i ventured back to the lpga uh, in australia of all places i was really impressed in the time that i'd left caddying to the time i came back of how much more professional the girls had become although in our era that we competed in or you did i was caddying um the girls were still very good but i just felt like everybody was younger fitter stronger Uh, more knowledgeable yeah to a yeah. degree right um so i think it's fed down through that feeder system which was formerly the symmetra tour and now the epson tour i think it's a great little tour for these girls to try and cut their teeth on and make it to the lpga so really yeah. enjoyed it i think it's good too because this week obviously the lpga played a match play in vegas mm. which was limited field to 44 players i think so a lot of the lpga players had the opportunity as well to go and play on the Epson tour which i think it's it's good as well that you can kind of keep your competitiveness going yeah. uh, even though it might not be the top tour but it's still competitive which yeah. is important seen a player like maria fassi i think finished second in the end i mean she plays on the lpj regularly obviously came back interesting spoke to her coach a little bit uh, brett meyer who looks after her really well and we just talked about it's just a mindset she drops back a class in regards to going from LPJ back to Epson and just finds the confidence straight away the self belief is there so mm. it's that trifactor maria can you expand yeah. a little bit more on that about your experiences of knowing when you went from the LPGA and you would battle away for periods of time then you went back to Europe i remember you went back to Europe one particular year when you were really struggling and went and won the English Open And then yeah. you went and did it back to back. You did it again the next year. But what's it like going from the highest level of the LPGA where it's just brutally hard and then going back, for lack of a better word, going back a class, but it's still very competitive? Yeah, it's still very competitive. Obviously, any tour you go to, it's still professional tours and you still have to keep a score. You have a scorecard. But I think the biggest thing is that I relaxed a little bit more I and I accepted mistakes a lot better. Mm. And that made a huge difference for me because when I played on the LPGA a lot of times I was perfectionist when I played, which no. is <laughs> really very 
very um, hard and very draining uh, when you're perfectionist. On everybody, on everybody around you. Yes, yes, for you as well. Including your support staff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, and uh, yeah, and everybody else around. But so when you're out there as a perfectionist playing, you, you want every shot to be perfect and be close and whatever. So the pressure you put on yourself and then... When I went back and played in Europe, for some reason, I just relaxed a little bit more, felt a little bit just accepting, accepting smaller mistakes a lot more than I did on the LPJ. And I think that helped me to just save energy throughout the round. So come down later on, it was just, I just felt more uh, like I had more energy and didn't care as much. Is, is probably the, the biggest word, really. Yeah, lowered the care factor, the try factor, but increased the confidence because then yeah. that player, whether it be Maria Fassi, uh, although I don't think she's playing the US Open, but her next LPGA event, she's going to be going in there with a lot more confidence. Just the most simple thing that she would have done, which she hasn't done for quite a while, is I think she was 9 or 10 under. She would have been close to winning the tournament, very close actually. Um, so just being in and around it, you, you kind of forget about that quickly, I think. I think when you're buried amongst trying to make cuts week after week on the LPGA, um, you can kind of get disconnected to what it's like actually being in contention. Is that yeah, something that yeah. you've you gained from dropping back uh, a level? I think so because I think the 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 lower the lower standard is higher. Well, it was higher on the LPJ than maybe it was on the European tour. So when, so when I went back there, I, I kind of felt like even if I make little mistakes, I'm still going to make the cut and making the cut is, you know, great. And you always want to make the cut because that's how you make money. Mm. So being up in the top and just, just being able to, to play to win, it's always such a great feeling. And when you do that, you just build confidence and you feel so much better about yourself. And then you come back um, and play LPJ and you just, yeah, you just gain confidence. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, players like Maria Fassi and any other LPJ player that came back that particular or last week and then goes on to play the rest of the LPGA season. So we obviously have a big one coming up. It's probably the banner event on the LPGA, the Women's US Open, June 2nd to 5 at Pine Needles in North Carolina, a mecca of golf, some great golf courses around there. Needless to mention Pinehurst, but Pine Needles just around the corner. Donald Ross design, designed in 1928, and whenever you put Donald Ross to a golf course, you know that it's a quality, quality design, and it was redesigned in 2004. It's been a nice little host to the Women's US Open. 1996, where the winner was Annika Sorenstam. 2001, Kari Webb, so two number ones there. 2007, Christy Kerr. Don't know if Christy was number one at the time. She probably talked like she was, but don't know whether she was or not. And in 2019, they did have a Women's Senior US Open, which Helen Alfredson won. So two Swedes I got in there to meet and talk to you. um, So... (laughs) It, the, with the US Open coming up, you did play in Pine Needles in 2001, I believe. I was actually there caddying as well. There's a little side story we'll get to in a second. Yeah. Any thoughts on the golf course? Yeah, it's a really tricky course. And uh, the green areas, I find, are really hard. On the greens or around the greens? Around the greens mm. uh, are really tricky. And what I liked about the course, though, it's that you have a lot of club choices, 
So you can decide, do I, do I go for drivers and have shorter clubs, which obviously helps, but it can put me in a lot of trouble? Or do I kind of lay back a little bit and maybe have a little longer shots into the greens? Hitting, always hitting from fairways obviously helps. Uh, so I think I found that fun with that course because you, there's a lot of variety of clubs that you're using on that golf course. Yeah, chipping will be a premium. Chipping or long-range putting from off the greens because they get the, the surround so tight there that I tell you what, if you're edgy with your chipping, oh, you could be there all day. I know I would be there all day. <laughs> you would be there all there's day. There's no need to laugh. We've had, we've had chipping history. We've had chipping issues. We still have. You still have. Yeah. I still uh-huh. have. That's why I yeah. teach the game. Yeah. I don't yeah. play. Don't yeah. watch me. Just listen to me. Um, yeah. 2001, I do remember being there with Rachel Hetherington. We step up onto the first tee. We're playing a practice round with a 13-year-old called Morgan Pressel. And there was a bit of chat around the fact that a 13-year-old is playing in a US Open. She qualified. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Morgan went on to win her own major championship years later, is now a commentator on, on TV. She's yeah, a very yeah. knowledgeable girl. She was, I thought, in the end probably overhyped a little bit in regards to her abilities, but she made the most out of her uh, out of that ability and turned out a fantastic career. But mm, back definitely. when she's 13, between 13 and 18, I mean, they talked about her, the poor girl. They put a lot of pressure on her. Yeah. Um, but I do remember playing with her at a when she was 12 or 13, and I just thought it's one of my first USGA events. I thought this is very unusual to be out at a major championship <laughs> with a 12 or 13-year-old, but she handled herself pretty well. You always have, though, in the US Open because of the qualifiers. Mm. You always have a really young one. I remember, was it two or three years ago, the, the year I think, Michelle, we won, that you had that girl. She had like the, almost a Mickey Mouse yes. bow or yes. whatever. I, I'm so sorry, I can't remember her name, yeah. but... She was 13 or 12 as well, yeah. I think. And Natalie Golbis had played when she was 13, I think, in her. Yeah, Lexi Thompson. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the younger they are, the better they are maybe, but they also need to be protected, which I think the tour does a pretty good job, whether it's the USGA that particular week or the LPGA, they do a pretty good job of protecting the girls when they come out at such yeah. a young age. Yeah, definitely. But I think also for the week now, it's going to be really hot. They're going to have oh. like 95 degrees on oh, yes. Wednesday and Thursday. So mm. the course will be cooked, playing hard and fast. Hard and fast, 6,638 yards. Not the longest golf course, but it more than makes up for around the greens as we yeah, discussed. Yeah, definitely. Past 71. Um, guess what? They're playing for 10 million dollars. That's 10 million. So the winner gets. 1.8. Can you imagine what we would have done with 1.8 if we'd won that? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't imagine what we would have done. But that is that is just great news to hear. The USGA is stepping up and putting all that money into women's golf as well, which is you know amazing. Like 1.8 is almost some of the purses that yeah. uh, what we definitely used to play for, but that they have now they're playing for a total. So that is. Such great news, and well, I'm very happy about it. When you and I were running around in the uh, early 2000s, a million-dollar purse yep. was a good event with a, a $150,000 first prize. Right. And the US Open back then, I remember when it went from about 450000 first prize to about five fifty, then up to 700000 It was like, this is serious, seriously yeah. good cash now. 1.8, yeah. that is not only going to change someone's life, um, 
but even second and third are going to benefit really well from that. Yes, so, absolutely. Well it's done great. to the girls to uh, to be getting paid one point eight million dollars to the first place winner. Yeah, I also seen and I heard this out in the Epson tour. You may be able to con- confirm this because you did try and qualify for this U.S. Open. Yeah, I've heard a lot of the alternates uh, from those qualifying sites are actually getting into the field because. A lot of the Asian girls who are in the top 50 of the world rankings but qualified through those rankings and are still based in Asia are not making the trip over. So a lot of alternates getting into the field. Yeah, that sometimes that happens quite a lot for some reason that um, you think, oh, I'm an alternate and I'm not, not going to get in because regular events, how often is it that you get in? And for some reason at US Opens, they um, kind of cover them up with uh, with alternate spots. But Yes, they might have big events over in Asia at this time as well, and some of them feel like that's more important for them than to come over and play the US Open. Yeah, there might be some uh, carry-on effect from COVID there, just probably being a little bit protective of travel still. We're still going to respect other cultures and how they see the world, but the US Open will be off and running on June 2 to 5, and guess what? Michelle Wee, the big wheezy, is in the field, and it's going to be her last I think it's going to be a last LPGA event. Is that correct? Well, there she is talking about, uh, yes, cutting down and um, retiring. She, I think she's looking into playing next year's US Open as well, but she's not going to be playing full time on the LPGA. I guess um, her priorities change. As we know, when you become a mother, a lot of things change in your life. So I guess that's what she's going through right now. I'm feeling that it's not necessary to be out there, um, you know, beating around. But she's going to be involved with uh, Nike and having a lot to do with uh, their brand ambassador. So she's going to be busy with doing that. Yeah, I heard her recently say on a rival podcast, um, so we should get her on. <laughs> You're going to have to make a phone call there. Yeah. Um, She just talked about the fact she discussed it with her husband, um, who has a high profile in the basketball industry, but she discussed it with her husband about maybe even making a full-time return. But you could also tell in that interview it wasn't quite coming from the heart. It was like she was discussing it. And as you know, when your heart goes out of the travel and the sacrifice and you want to be with your kids more than be around people just bashing golf balls 24-7, it's pretty hard to get motivated. So well done to Michelle Wee if this is her last week. Yeah. Also, her US Open was won uh, at the famous Pinehurst number two just around the corner. So she probably sees it as a nice bookend to her USGA career if she finishes up. Yeah, definitely. So congratulations to Michelle on a good career and hopefully she um, goes out with a a good week, I think. so. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Maria, have you got a, have you got a prediction? Have you got a winner for the US Open? I do. Um, I, I mean, I would really like to say Nelly Corda, but mm. she's just coming back after her really scary blood cloth that she had in her arm. So this is her first event in a long time. So I'm going to guard myself and say Lydia Cole. No, you can't. I can't. Because no. what? So because you're going to say. Because I'm going to <laughs> Give me those rankings. Then you can change. Give me those rankings. Let me let me let oh me change. Oh my tech. gosh! I had tech. Lydia Co written down. Oh, so have I. Well, well, I kind of have Nelly Lydia, but um, I Nelly is a great player, great person, but I do feel 
I'll go on. Maybe a, I'll, I'll go out and I'll, I'll live here because I'm uh-huh. put under pressure. Yeah, yeah. She plays quite well every week, and I think she's a really good chipper, Celine Boutier. Okay. Yep. There's my pick that was stolen from me. Yeah. My original one. So. And your friend Colin caddies oh, for her. Colin can does caddy yeah. for her. now. Colin was back. He was caddying for Annika when she won, I think, that US Open in 1996. If he wasn't, he was darn close to it. Mm. I think he still got the first dollar that he won from that US Open back as well. He hates <laughs> spending money, Colin, and he's made plenty of it over the years. So oh, well done, Cole. Yeah, yeah. If you can get Celine Boutier up at this year's US Open, mm. June 2 to 5, looking forward to it. Um, also, I'd like to see Jess Corder play well. Uh, we we're, uh, we really like to see Jess Corder play well. Such a nice girl. So yep. the Corder sisters back in action this week. Yes, Anything else you'd like to add about the U.S. Open? Well, obviously, last week's winner, uh, Unhee Ji, won the match play in Vegas. And because of that, she is getting the last spot for the Women's Open this year. She actually was a winner of the U.S. Women's Open in 2009. 2009. Um, and yep. you get 10-year exempt for the Open, so she's obviously run out of that. But she's in the field, so all the best to her. Well, somebody's got to get that last spot. And when you're a former US Open champion, it's probably quite fitting. So well done to her. You, she's Now, there is a good chipper. Any of the Korean girls, yeah. they just chip so well. Yeah. Um, why do you ask? Why do why? you ask? <laughs> yeah, why are they such good chippers? Why are they such good chippers? Yeah. Well, technically, they're very good, uh, very sound. But what complements that technique is their emotional control over high-stress situations. So the Korean girls... Uh, if you work with them, whether you caddy for them or coach them, their emotional control is absolutely fantastic. So how does that relate into good chipping? Well, when the stress levels go up over a very tough chip shot under any sort of pressure, under those US Open conditions, you've got to have good emotional control. So their breathing is very naturally calm, quiet. Everything about them is very soft and quiet, and that's what makes them really, really good chippers and great putters. So, Yeah, so that's what you're trying to do when you're chipping? Yeah, I'm trying to breathe as yep. much as I can, and then any Korean girl that I come across <laughs> or any Korean girl I've worked with in the past, I try and remember <laughs> what the hell it was like to stand next to one of those girls who really are impressive when it comes to their chipping. So good luck to all the participants yep. at the Women's US Open and... <laughs> Whoever wins that 1.8, spend it wisely. Yes. Now, the men's tour, last night or yesterday last night, was at the Colonial in Texas and Sam Burns wins. So I was watching this last night while uh, we were sitting there getting ready for dinner and I've got to say, Sam Burns waits for a playoff Scotty Scheffler, so it's good to see Scotty Scheffler back up after his Masters victory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they go to the playoff. Sam, now they're good friends. Sam Burns on the back of 18 rolls in a unlikely 45 footer. <laughs> Very good. Straight in the middle, looked like it was in from about 10 feet out. Yeah. I've got to say, the ho hum celebration, mm, I did, it, dubbed, it does cross my mind that these guys are so wealthy. That they don't enjoy it anymore. Uh, or what? I don't know. I think they enjoy it. But has the desperation gone out of the game to the point where these guys are so financially set that it just shows that, I mean, he won 1 point, no. 1 point whatever, 1.5. He's a top 10 player in the world. But it just, 
I don't know. It just gave me the vibe. Maybe it was because he was against his buddy and he didn't want to show too much informa- uh, information, too much expression in front of Scotty Scheffler. Well, Scotty still had to putt, though. Yeah. So you didn't know that. I know. But there wasn't any fist pump. Can you imagine Tiger Woods if he holds that putt well, back in the day? yeah. He's jumping yeah. in the lake backstroke. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. It just it just left me as like okay, I'll change the channel. The, these guys are just you know they're incredibly good, but it did it did leave me a little bit flat. Mm. Maybe I was maybe I was just in one of my moods. <laughs> what I did notice was how damn windy it was for these guys coming down the stretch. And trust me, on that golf course, as we talked about last week's pod, yeah, it is a tricky, tricky golf course. I think it's overrated, but when it's really windy, it's very, very difficult to get the right club selection. Yeah, because even with the last hole, um, when Scheffler played, mm. he has has a gap wedge and doesn't even hit the green. He does, you but know. those uh, – I remember in my experience there that if you're in the first cut on that last hole, even if it's, even if it's in wind, cross the wind, which it was there – that that ball, if you get a fly a lie, that ball could go forever. And long left is to a left pin there is absolutely dead. So yeah. they're protective about that. Um, I guess bunker for them is easy. Um, well, you see with Sam Burns, if he where he hits it on the back of the green in the playoff, if he's slightly left of where he wants to be, that ball goes down the bank and it's wet. So yeah. the ball yeah. seems to go a long way there in the, on the last hole for some particular reason. Maybe the wind, the clubhouse, is kind of high up on a hill there maybe it blocks out the wind a little bit mm. we always just felt like uh, any sort of suspicion there could be a flyer lie it will go forever so right, right. tough to get the right club but yep. i just felt like the colonial was a bit a little bit ho-hum okay and, um i'm looking forward to just seeing how the girls go plus i was busy with the epson so i was a rather busy little busy little bee driving around trying to get to these epson <laughs> events so i didn't take much note have you got anything else to add uh, I don't think so right now. It's um, again. I'm I'm like you. I'm looking forward to the to the U.S. Open. U.S. Open is always such a fun event to watch, and especially if it's going to be hard and fast. I love watching when they, anyone play in those conditions. Yeah, you know one thing. Actually, I'm going to keep. I'm going to save this. I'm going to save this. I just thought I'm going to save it. So we. This probably is a good segue into. You know what. <laughs> There's our weekly good, bad, and ugly. Perfect. Okay, Maria. Because I, uh, well, earlier in this podcast, you stole my uh, choice for the US Open, and now I'm all of a <laughs> okay. sudden trying to remember a, a, a good, bad, and ugly little list. All right, list. so you get, to, you get to start now. No, 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 no. I'm going to throw it to you. Uh-huh. You're going to start. Give me a good, something good in the world. That we can talk about in yes. the golf industry. Yes, I am very excited that I get to play in Atlantic City next week in the LPGA event. Big comeback! It's been so long since I played an LPGA event, so I'm very excited about that. Good golf course, Atlantic City. Yeah, it's a fun course actually. It's a different. It's, it's a different course, and it's a it's a funky little course where, again, it's one of those courses where you hit a lot of different clubs in your bag, and I like that. Not yeah. just a driver wedge or driver seven iron. The, the par threes are, you can hit rescue four, you hit five or six irons, you hit a gap wedge, um, you hit eight irons. So it's a lot of variety. Mm. And I like that. Would you venture into 
the boardwalk where all the casinos are, or are those days gone? Mm, we have one evening where we have a gala dinner down at the casinos. It's a red carpet event. And um, actually, our daughter is going to come with me this week. She is. Yeah. She is. Now, the last time our daughter was in Atlantic City, I was pushing the stroller around, and she was about five months old. And now she's going back as a pretty much a 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah. You will not know and people will not know what the hell is going on because you only have to blink and you return as a mum on the LPGA and people cannot believe that your daughter has gone from four months old to 14 years of age. So yeah. that will be a great experience for both of you girls. Yeah, it will be. And it will be fun for her too because she has never. She was a lot younger when she was with us out on tour last time. So that will be fun for her as well. Yep, she'll catch up with everybody at daycare and be running the roost. Yes. So what is your good, Sean? My good is for a good guy and I just call him Paul the Repairman and sometimes when you don't know somebody's surname as a caddy, that pretty much means that you respect him because <laughs> Paul the Repairman <laughs> who drives around on the LPGA has um, done it for so many years, yeah. um, drives the van around, does all the repairs, club grip, shafts, club, everything, had his trailer out of the Epson event at Mission Inn. It was so great to catch up with him. He's such a nice go guy. He's a straight shooter. Um, if you don't belong in his trailer, he will tell you. He's yeah. got signs everywhere. He keeps it to a very, very short list. Right, yeah. And Paul is such a nice guy. So that is my good. He mm-hmm. is retiring at the end of this year. Um, Which he said quite for about 10 years He said now, for 10 years but... now, but I do believe <laughs> he's put in his papers. And I can tell you now, standing in his trailer is the greatest example of dis- discipline and cleanliness because there is not one thing out of place. No, he is really, and you know really what I'm good like? in that regard. I'm a neat freak. Yeah. So I love spending yeah. time in there. Gave him a nice bottle of Camus red wine as well out of our uh, little collection. And uh, <laughs> he really appreciated it as I walked into the trailer. So Paul the Repairman, great job over the years. Wish you all the best. Happy, healthy travels. That was my good. Okay. And so now we're into the bad. And the bad for me is because my beloved hockey team, Tampa Bay Lightning, played so well, they have not been able to play for the last two weeks because the other game that they're waiting for between Hurricanes and Rangers are still going on. So they're going to their seventh game tonight. And so I'm hoping uh, whoever wins that game will be playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the East Conference Final. And I hope that will be maybe Wednesday or Thursday so I finally get to see them play again. Okay, so does this have an impact on your golfing schedule? It has, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very important. So that (laughs) that is your bad. Yeah. Yeah, that that is my bad. It's, It's... yeah, that's how it is. What about yours? My bad. Yeah. My bad, and I just got a little um, reminder of this mm-hmm. out at Mission Inn. Did I tell you I was at the Epson event? <laughs> you, did. you did mention that before. So at yes. the Epson event at Mission Inn, I obviously got a little reminder of the caddies and how hard they work and how yeah. hard I did for all those years. Right. And in a 100-degree heat, they're putting on their bibs. Yeah. And I just think it sucks. That's what I've got to say about that because I know bibs are part and parcel of the tour, any tour. Yeah. But when it's a hundred degree heat and you have to put a bib on, it is just a matter of time, and it will happen. It has happened previously, and it will happen again. 
where one of the caddies goes down and it will end up being a tragic event because they're overheating and it's totally unnecessary for caddies to be wearing bibs over a certain temperature. It was brought in on the PGA Tour mm. a bunch of years ago where once it got declared at over 100 degrees index. Yeah, but I don't think it was over 100 though. Oh, oh no, 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 no. See, here's the difference. <laughs> you got meteorologists like yourself sitting there in front of a computer saying, oh, I don't think it was over 100. No. Well, you're not carrying a bag. Okay, so say it's 95 degrees. Well, now, now, yeah. put, now put 50 pounds on your back. Now walk up and down hills. Put up with a player complaining about everything in the world plus having a bib on. Trust me, your head is about to explode. It's 100 degrees. I'm sure it is, but I'm sure they also have to draw a line somewhere saying well, what are they supposed to do? They can't really... Even if it's 93 and it yeah. might feel like 100, yeah. what are they supposed to do? Yeah, here's my line. The line is you look at the T-sheet, that's the name. You look at the bag, that's the name. That's the player. The caddy doesn't yeah. need to walk around with a bib on in 100-degree <laughs> heat. So I would say no. like everything else no. in golf, it's time to change some things and that would be one of them. That is my bad. Okay. We're moving on because I'm getting angry. Yeah, yeah, we better move on. Let's um, move on to Maria's ugly. little ugly. So my little ugly is Harold Varner the third. Sweet struggle to save B. No, but Varner, yeah. Varner. The, Varner. The, the Varner. Varner, okay. <laughs> yeah, the third, right? So he steps up on the 12th tee, tied for the lead. When? Last week. Yeah, yep. uh, yesterday. Okay. Right? He hits a perfect drive, 317 yards on the left side of the fairway. He had 126 yards left to the hole. Which hole was it again, sorry? 12th. Yes, I come with you. Yep. Right. He hits it in the greenside bunker. Yep. Uh, get a little unfortunate lie. It's plugged. Yep. But he splashes it out to 19 feet. Yep. And then has a four putt. Oh. Yeah, so now he has a triple bogey there, right? And then all of a sudden he's three shots behind after that triple. Then he goes up on the 13th hole, hits a tee shot in the water, makes a double. He goes to the 14th hole, makes another triple bogey after he hits a provisional off the tee. I actually didn't know this was coming, so this is turning (laughs) uglier by the hole. And then he finished it off. With a double on 17 and a bogey on 18 to shoot a 45 on the back nine and finish tie 27. Now, what would you put that down to? <laughs> I don't know. Just well, take a guess. Uh, well, he's probably been on tour for about four or five weeks in a row. Yeah. He's, yeah, been, he's probably got a little bit of energy left in the tank. He has one right. hole and then decides, you know what? <laughs> Screw this. <laughs> My head's back home already. Yeah. Is that possibly what could have happened? Could have been, but <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was just horrible, ugly end for him, unfortunately. Yeah. I have so. <laughs> my experience with the PJ guys, um, they play hard, really hard, but. When they lose it, they lose it. When they lose it, they mentally check out completely and there is nobody going to get in their way to uh, say, you should try harder, hang Mm. in there. Because I've done quite a few British Opens and uh, US Open qualifiers where let's just say these boys uh, go pretty hard for the first 18 holes, but then when the score's getting out of control, they are out of there. Yeah, So, um, Yeah, so that was my ugly uh, ugly. to finish off. What is your ugly? All right, my my last little ugly... Um, 
I always felt like the USGA or the US Open uh, telecast, whenever it came round, I was I liked Johnny Miller commentating. I felt like NBC did a pretty good job of uh, everything. Johnny Miller was kind of Mr. US Open with his sidekick Dan Hicks. There was something familiar about their voices. And then the USGA changed the broadcast rights about five or something years ago. Oh, I don't think it's been the same since. In fact, they went through a big turmoil there where uh, everybody's friend at the moment, Greg Norman, was kind of employed and then it just kind of all didn't... He lasted about a year and it's never been the same since. I just feel like... I don't know if it's strong enough to be an ugly, but um, I could certainly watch the US Open with the commentary turned into mute, whereas I thought Johnny Miller added to it for quite a few years. So that's my ugly. Yeah. Well, we are very fortunate that we have Sky Sports, so we can listen to that. Yes. So now, yep. we, now we listen to our great friend, Dame Laura Davies, who yes. I'm trying to get onto this podcast. She doesn't know it yet, but when I'll be asking her, <laughs> she better say yes. So she'll be on this podcast very, very soon. In yeah. fact, we might get her opinion after the US Open has been won and run, and you'll be here and not... F- flitting around, playing all these LPGA comeback tour events. So, <laughs> anyway. well, I need to prep for my senior tour. Senior that's, tour. Yep, that's what We've I'm prepping for. We've done another podcast, Maria. Yep. We've got through a bunch of stuff. It was a bit of a quiet week in regards to the tours. Busy yeah. for us for tour talk. We've right. got some uh, good stuff to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And, of course, before we leave you, we want you to you please remind all our listeners. Yes, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. YouTube? YouTube channel. <laughs> yep. And, um, obviously, our podcast. Follow us and like our social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So that is very important. Please follow us. And a little extension to that is remember now, Tour Talk is working out of the Grand Marriott Grand Vista here in Orlando. And always please remember. We walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk. See you next week, guys. 